0: This is Unexpected Beginnings, the neonatal unit.
1: I just genuinely felt like my kids would be better off if I was not here.
2: Why am I having these thoughts over and over? Is it that my mind's wanting this to happen? It's quite disturbing.
1: i probably talk about another couple of months by the time I, I actually said I need some help because I can't carry on like this.
3: Hello, I'm Caroline Verdon. And I'm Kerry Bickerdike. And we've both had our babies on the neonatal unit.
1: Now, there is
0: so much support for mental health when it comes to parents having just had a baby. Perinatal mental health teams offer all sorts of different levels. There's group sessions, there's one-to-ones with psychologists and psychiatrists should you need them. There are mum and baby units as well, which are inpatient units for uh, women with mental health problems during or after pregnancy. And they keep mothers and babies together so that the specialist staff can support the mother and child relationship whilst also helping mum with her mental illness and the thing about all of these perinatal mental health support services is that there isn't this waiting list that we hear about for other areas of mental health where you see people waiting 18 months or two years or anything along those lines on average for perinatal mental health support you're looking at about two weeks I had mental health problems during my pregnancy and I became really anxious about something happening to my baby. And so when he was born, I remember becoming really concerned and it sounds ridiculous now, but I became really concerned about terrorism. And I would repeatedly picture gangs of terrorists breaking into our house. And I had this fear over where was I going to hide this baby, and these concerns over the fact that, you know, newborn babies crying and he was going to cry. And how was I keeping quiet? Because I had to keep him quiet some way to stop us from being found. I didn't go out a lot because of this, because I was genuinely worried about not knowing where the exits were if we were to go out. And if I did go out, that is the first thing I looked for. And I vividly remember going for a coffee with a friend and it was like in an open plan, coffee shop. And so there were lots of cupboards on show. And I remember thinking, brilliant, that cupboard is just about big enough to keep a baby in. Um, But, you know, um, my brain would then take it further. Well, if I'm in in public and I have to hide with my baby, what if there are other people too? And all of our lives are then dependent on the fact that my baby's going to cry. What if somebody says and makes me do something to, you know, permanently silence my child. And I would picture these scenes where I was having to argue to try and keep my child alive. And it was so traumatic. And that was going through my head all of the time. Mm, Quite
3: tiring as well.
0: So tiring and also quite common, but most importantly, really straightforward to help fix when you get the right support.
3: It's so important to talk and just get it out there. And I think you've got to understand that these thoughts that come in into your head they're called intrusive thoughts and you know they can leave a lasting effect as well so um we actually spoke to rob about his intrusive thoughts
2: i just kept having these thoughts of um what happens when i'm changing his nappy if he if he rolls off and rolls off the changing table bangs his head on the table and that kept playing out in my mind and it was it was as if my mind was Going through that as a, as a as a as a situation, and then what happens afterwards, and um, that kept coming back to me over and over. Your mind keeps thinking, what what's causing these thoughts? Why am I having these thoughts over and over? What, and you start to have the fear of, is it that my mind's wanting this to happen, or is it that it's a premonition of something that's going to happen? So it's it's quite disturbing. I mean, obviously. I've always been aware that it's it's not been something that that was reality. It was something that was just playing out of my mind. And after changing a million nappies, and it's never happened. I've come to to realise that that that's just in the background. But it still comes back sometimes. It's still disturbing.
0: When Jennifer had her baby Lorca, she already had bipolar disorder. But Lorca's traumatic arrival into the world and his stay on neonatal led to her mental health deteriorating rapidly.
1: I'd had a section with my daughter like nearly two years previously. So I, I she came out and she cried and they showed it to me. And I, I kind of just expected that to happen again and I thought it was going to be fine. And then he came out and he didn't cry And they rushed into the corner of the room and I was like, what's going on? I'm crying. I'm like asking my husband, is he all right? Is he all right? And he was just looking really frightened himself, which is not like my husband at all. And then all of a sudden, all these people came rushing into the room and they were like crowded around him. Um, I, I just all I can remember the flashbacks that I had from like the anxiety and stuff that I had afterwards was I just remembered all the, the crash team, just like the, it seemed like there was like a million of them. Obviously, there wasn't, but I just remember them all coming tearing into the room like so quickly as well. And then they were just all crowding around him, and like the, the midwife was holding my hand, and even she looked you know a little bit concerned. Um, because none of us could see what was going on, and it, it was terrifying.
0: Harry's, you described it, didn't you? You described the neonatal unit as a trauma unit. Yeah. To have gone through that.
3: To start with. To
0: start mm-hmm. with.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. What were the following days like? I just cried so much, to be honest. Like, I thought I was being strong, but looking back now, like, I was just, just crying. I mean, the first time that I got to hold him, it Twenty like twelve to twenty four hours ish. It's somewhere in between there. Like I said, it's so blurry now. Before I got to hold him, and you know, I just I just cried because I just didn't think at first. Sorry, I'm getting emotional okay. uh, from how bad it seemed at that moment in time when they were resuscitating him. I didn't think I was ever going to get to hold him, and you know, I was just like when they sent my husband up to take pictures, I was thinking, are they sending him to take pictures in case I don't ever actually get to see him? And that was all I had for like that first night with these few pictures on my phone, and I just I thought I was holding it together, but I I, I mean obviously throw in the fact that I have bipolar into the mix as well. Like I, I was an emotional wreck, which I think anyone, despite a mental health condition, would have been anyway. But I, it does heighten things for me, and you know, I just all these feelings of anxiety, worry just 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 crying and i was so scared I, I don't think i slept properly because i was frightened that he was going to stop breathing again
0: it just sounds like such a traumatic start and i think as you say you know it it would be traumatic for anyone uh, regardless of of a mental health condition um when it comes to mental health i felt quite lucky because i've always been quite aware of my mental health
1: mm-hmm.
0: i made sure that i had a plan in place before I, before I went into hospital. Um, And so I constantly had people checking on me. And even though I was there going, I'm fine. and There's nothing wrong with me. um, They noticed that I was definitely Mm. not fine. Um, And they were the ones to sort of pick it up. And I kind of, I kind of feel quite lucky in a way that, um, I had a mental health problem before I went in because I really yeah. was treated so well um with trying to get mm. to you know trying to get help with it
1: um what what was your experience um I mean I'd been seeing um a mental health um midwife I think it was um yeah perinatal that's it yeah and having meetings with her and you know like we did have plans in place and stuff but I think when all this happened like I kind of went so into denial about everything that even when I was on transitional care they were like do you need some extra support we think that you know you're not yourself and I was just like no I'm fine I just want to go home blah 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 and I think it like probably properly hit me about two to four months later um, I started having like the flashbacks um, and and my I mean Lorca bless him he just really did not like breastfeeding Um, we had so many issues with him Um, god I I got mastitis he got um, oral thrush. um, obviously he'd had the tongue tie and he he just he just wasn't taking to it and I started really beating myself up about that My, my husband went to work and I was like I don't think I'm going to be here when you get back. And he ended up coming home early from work um, because he was, he was so concerned. And this is, it was like, look, it's not working with the, the feeding and stuff. We changed to formula. Um, but he was so much happier. But at the time I was like, so heartbroken and I felt like I'd failed because um, I hadn't been able to breastfeed my first child because I'd got sepsis um, and it had affected my supply. So I'd had to switch to formula for her. Um, and I was determined to do it this time. And I, I literally tried everything, honestly, and he just didn't like it. I know I can joke about it now, but um, it, at the time it was, you know, it, it was horrible. And I just I just genuinely felt like my kids would be better off if I was not here um, and I kept like I said having the flashbacks but then there was the guilt of well you were only there like three days why are you feeling like this when you know there was a lady with two really tiny twins behind you who was just getting on with it and being really brave and you know still smiling and then, and I was there like quivering in a corner so I just I just felt I started feeling a lot of guilt then um and then like I said, it probably took about another couple of months. I think my little boy was maybe about four or five months by the time I, I actually said, "Yeah, I need to, I need to see my consultant. I need some help because I can't, I can't carry on like this."
3: It's interesting how we think we know ourselves, but we're never the first person to mm. notice when there's when you're not feeling quite right. It's
0: like you fake it, don't you? You you, you fake it till you make yeah. it. You think you think oh, I'm I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, and then someone asks you, and you realise yeah. actually. Maybe I'm not. Dr. Rachel Averson is the principal clinical psychologist at the paediatric psychology service at Leeds Teaching Hospitals. Finding out that these thoughts that you're having, and these fears that you have, and these things that are stopping you from sleeping because you're so worried, one, there is a way to make that not be such a big worry, and it's, it, it, you know, there's a process. To deal with it and you can get through that but two your brain is working the way it's meant to be working and there are reasons why your brain is doing this and it's science you're not there's nothing wrong with you it's science and because of that there's a way
4: through yeah you've touched on something there that's really important and um we we sort of don't think about the brain in in, in these experiences, but you're absolutely right. We've got a very old part of our brain called the limbic system and it's designed to respond to threat. And so when it's, it it keeps us safe, doesn't it? To sort of fear the worst, I suppose. But sometimes what happens with that bit of our brain is it's constantly giving our body signals that things are stressful, things are frightening to be on high alert. And um, it gets complicated with, our brain, our sort of evolved brain in that we, we can think things very critically and analytically. And then you get that sort of a, a feedback loop of the old brains trying to go uh, stress, danger, fear. And the, the new brain is signaling, well, what what's this about? And trying to make sense of it. And what we know from speaking to lots of parents is they can be very self-blaming and really, really hard on themselves on a, at a time when you know it, what they're going through is, is horrific and Self nurture is key and is crucial, um, but we hear it pretty much every time when we have conversations. I shouldn't think this way. or It's silly that I'm having these thoughts. Or, I don't really want to share them, and um, they're very, very common experiences for, for lots and lots of parents. But it's it's yeah, it's it's, it's isolating, and um, it's uh, you're right. It's science. It's the way people's brain, the, hum- the human brain, is designed to trigger f- fear and threat and adrenaline um and that's why people are experiencing the the horrible traumatic experiences they are because they're in threat mode
0: one of the things um that you know you spoke about all the different sort of forms of of support that that are out there i did multiple but one of them was um it was like a mum and baby group Um, and it was brilliant. Um, and they went through different topics every single week and we had, you know, we could share things if we wanted to or not share things if we didn't. Um, and there were six of us and everybody was very forthcoming and everyone. And I certainly felt like I was being really, really open about how I felt and how, um, you know, I think I felt, well, I know know that at the time I didn't feel a bond between me and my baby. I didn't feel that overwhelming love that you you are in inverted commas meant to feel that you see in all the movies um it wasn't this wonderful birds flying experience um it, there was at times i felt dead inside um and i i was scared to share that thinking everyone's going to think and then everyone said oh no we we've actually i felt this a little bit too and i felt that a little bit you know and it's interesting Having worked through all of that, looking back now, it's not that I didn't it's not that those things weren't there. It's not that the love wasn't there. It was just that there was so much going on I couldn't see it. And I think that's that's a really interesting thing too, that that though sometimes those worries that you have, when you look back, you can see that that the reality and and how things felt can sometimes not not marry up. They kind of they can yeah, be different. Absolutely, you're very much
4: compromised, aren't you? The ability to experience that bond and that closeness is hugely interrupted through birth trauma and, and, and pain and, and very very distressing experiences bringing baby into the world. But also that the the bond is could be significantly interrupted if baby needs medical care and attention and whisked away to a neonatal unit um sometimes within the same hospital sometimes even further afield um so you, you physically couldn't you know it's sometimes impossible to develop that feeling of one being a parent but two being able to to bond and you're absolutely right caroline it's not that the the love isn't there it's just that the process is the, the the physical and biological process has been hugely interrupted and it's so, so compromised to be able to, to do that. And on the neonatal wards, because of the nature of the, the care that babies need, it's a very busy, busy way of, of being. So that interruption in that you don't have the quiet space away from everybody else, there sometimes aren't cuddles, um, skin to skin sometimes isn't possible. Um, and yeah, that the natural, you know, but biological programming to be able to feel that connection and that warmth is
0: so, so um, interrupted. We've spoken to quite a few parents who have talked about having intrusive thoughts, you know, suddenly being sat there on the sofa and having these horrible images flash in front of their head of something terrible happening to their child. The image in itself is distressing, but then at the same time you're there with a baby who's well and then you worry, what does this thought mean? Is there a part of me that, does it mean I want to do something to my baby? But where, where's it come from? What does it, and those intrusive thoughts, having spoken to other parents, are quite common. It's just something that we keep to ourselves because we feel shame in in feeling them and seeing them. But actually, intrusive thoughts are quite normal, aren't they? Absolutely normal. Yeah, and that's
4: exactly that's exactly right. It's that old brain connecting with the new brain, and the the feedback loop that's going on all the time. Old brain is signalling danger, threat. Basically, keep keep this baby safe, keep this baby alive. And, and so, again, that high alert, it, it, that protection of, of this little little life. It's it's your brain's doing exactly what it needs to do to be vigilant and hyper vigilant to things that might harm that that baby. And it's the new brain that's evolved over these thousands of years that's looking into it in deep, much much deeper la- levels. What does this mean? Why on earth am I? walking down the stairs and I'm imagining us both tumbling down and and falling and I'm imagining ambulances coming and police coming, all these awful scenarios that can be played out in people's minds. And they can be very instant, quick thoughts that can be played out like slow films for for some people and and it is it's the old brain signaling danger and the new brain going my gosh what does this mean There's obviously something wrong with me and and but you you're right it's it's normal and it's very very hard to filter those thoughts out when when you're in that threat mode and um, but so common and we we hear it a lot
0: i think one of the things that surprised us is so we've spoken to i don't even know how many different parents and partners now and the surprising thing is that Every single one of them has struggled with their mental health and needed some support and the vast majority have needed professional support. And, you know, I have struggles with my mental health every now and then and I have no qualms with going and getting help when I needed it. And so I expected that Whatever the circumstance, I would probably need to get some extra support. But I presumed that the reason why I was getting that extra support was because my brain is a bit broken and therefore I would need it. You know, almost I am weak and so I will need it, not because the situation was so difficult that it warranted it, you know, and actually my brain was behaving as it would be expected to. It seems it's almost unusual to be able to deal with it all yourself. Mm-hmm. And and it's brilliant that people can, but it, it, that certainly seems mm-hmm. our experience, that it is the minority who are able to deal with it themselves.
4: Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's because all those resources that you would tap into uh, before, I suppose we've all developed coping strategies with things that have been difficult and adverse. Um, and we might seek comfort in closeness with friends or time out or, exercise things like that but actually when you've got a very very dependent newborn that's needing you all every minute of every day you're exhausted you're tired you've spent weeks months in a special care baby unit you haven't it's, it's not possible it's not possible to think you know what would help right now just to have a walk around the block and get some fresh air it's, it's not it's not straightforward um and the coping mechanisms that people use just you just can't tap into them um because, because of having this new life. So I think that's why it's so hard for the majority. And you're absolutely right. It's the majority of, of parents that find it incredibly hard and it's expected that there's going to be that struggle there.
3: I think even listening to Rachel now, five years on, I think it alleviates a lot of pressure that I've been feeling for the last five mm. years because, you know, it all makes sense. And you cannot, I think we blame ourselves a lot for the things that we cannot control and neonatal going through that journey is just something that you cannot control and it happens and you feel that guilt and every parent that lives through that feels some form of guilt but it's nice to know that we don't have to feel that anymore by just talking
0: Absolutely. It wasn't our fault. We have nothing to feel guilty for. We can work through these negative sort of feelings and stuff that we have. And they're all there for a reason and we can work through and make it out the other side. It's just, it's really affirming, isn't it? To know that you're not on your own and there is help. Now, on our next episode, we speak to Dylan and Vicky about their daughter, Ruby who was born at full term, but was quite poorly, so went to neonatal, but sadly never came home. To find out more information on anything you've heard about in this episode, do check out the links in our show notes. Unexpected Beginnings, the neonatal unit, is recorded in conjunction with Leeds Children's Hospital and funded by Leeds Hospitals Charity. As the official charity of Leeds Teaching Hospitals, they support NHS staff to deliver the best care for patients and their families. Generous donations have funded life-saving equipment, research, fellowships and improvements to the patient environment. Every penny donated helps to support the hard-working staff across the hospitals and enhance the experience of patients and their families. To find out more, head to uk. This podcast was created and produced by Under the Mask Creative Audio Productions.